0: Hello and welcome to Explain It, brought to you by SoftCat. This is a show for IT professionals that aims to simplify the complex and often overcomplicated bits of enterprise IT, of course, without compromising on detail. I'm host Michael Bird, and over the next 20 or so minutes, I'll be challenging our panel of experts to take a different area of the IT ecosystem and, of course, explain it. This week we're going to be looking at Windows 10, specifically the eternal quest of how an organisation can easily get a Windows 10 desktop with all the applications they need to their users as easily and as cheaply as possible. So, with me to help discuss, demystify, and explain are Adam Harding, Softcat's Chief Technologist for End User Computing, and Jack Lewis, Softcat's Microsoft 365 Technical Architect. So, Jack, why Windows 10? Why are organisations moving to Windows 10? What's so good about it?
1: Okay, so there's two key reasons why organizations are choosing to move to windows 10 number one to take advantage of the new productivity and security features which are a core part of the new operating system and also because the latest silicon chipsets do not support windows 7 so if organizations are currently deploying windows 7 as their default operating system and they want to move to the latest versions of the hardware or they can't get hold of any of the uh, legacy style laptops They are somewhat being forced to move to Windows 10. Additionally, Windows 7 goes end of support in January 2020. I think the other key thing to keep in mind here around the security piece is Microsoft have listened to end users or organizations and have actively worked hard to align with objectives such as remove passwords with Windows Hello and Windows Hello for Business. So it's Windows Hello, that's
0: where you have the camera at the top of your screen and you smile at it and then it lets you in without having to type a password in. Absolutely.
1: So that is Windows Hello facial recognition, which is known as a gesture. But there is another technology that's called Windows Hello for Business, which essentially allows you to authenticate using gestures but then still get that single sign-on token. So we then users decide to authenticate using biometrics into Windows 10. They then don't need to enter a password to access Office 365 or that on-premises application that they access every day to do the job. This is definitely the most secure operating system that Microsoft have ever released. What would an organization need to consider before moving? So undoubtedly, most organizations will need to do some sort of infrastructure readiness task. So that could be, upgrading Active Directory, building new organizational units, just general tasks to get your infrastructure into a Windows 10 ready state. So that's the first thing. Secondly, Windows 10 has two new servicing channels. So there's the long-term servicing channel, which is a similar servicing channel to the way Windows 7 is delivered. So it's five years mainstream, five years extended support. But it's not designed for general-purpose devices. It's designed for single-function devices. So think cash machines, laser cutters, those type of devices. There is then the semi-annual channel, which is designed for general-purpose devices. Now, the guidance from Microsoft here is that a device that runs Office is a general-purpose device and therefore is well-suited to the semi-annual channel. The semi-annual channel is a rapid departure from the way Windows 7 was serviced insofar that new feature updates are released on a semi-annual basis. So they are released around March and September, so twice yearly. Those feature updates will only be supported with security and bug fixes for a maximum of 18
2: months. That's a proper drop-dead date, isn't it, at the end of that?
1: Yeah, so at that point, I always say, you might as well be running Windows XP at that point because you're not going to receive any, what Microsoft called quality updates, which is the new terminology for the monthly updates for the operating system. So you've got this 18-month support cycle that's associated with each feature update, which means that you have to rapidly deploy the feature updates, and you need to keep up to date. The feature updates that are released on a six-monthly basis contain new operating system features and reset that support cycle, the quality updates of the new name for the monthly updates. Yeah.
2: So it's, so it's that move towards the evergreen um, cycle that we've seen a lot uh, across peers in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, our biggest concern, Jack and I who do this stuff all the time is the, um, organizations are already struggling to get their house in order with regards to application compatibility testings and general preparations of active directory SCCM, or whatever it might be already struggling to keep up with the demands of doing this once every three years or six years so real focus from these organizations needs to be needs to be put on how do we get How do we organize ourselves operationally to live with this once we've managed to deploy it?
0: So I guess probably leads us quite nicely onto the next question, which is how would an organization get Windows 10 to their users? And I presume kind of what would follow from that is how can they make
1: sure if they get it to their users, they can kind of keep it up to date and maintain it? Yeah, so we always say there's four key technical areas that you need to consider when you undertake an operating system migration project. So we've got number one, which is deployment and provisioning, which is how am I going to get Windows 10 out to my end users? So there are some methodologies and some tools that we can use for that. Number two, how am I going to manage and secure Windows 10? Which also includes the how am I going to keep it up to date and make sure that it stays within that supported lifecycle. The third key area, which is the applications, so we're going to need to make sure that the applications are Windows 10 ready. And then there's the fourth area, which is data and settings. So how are we going to lift and shift that data that resides on the endpoints to the Windows 10 endpoint? And also, how are we going to lift and shift the settings as well? So any kind of personalization that is on the existing operating system.
0: Okay, so let's just touch on that first one then. So deploying and provisioning, how can an organization get Windows 10 to their users?
1: Okay, so there are three methods you can use to deploy and provision Windows 10. You've got the traditional reimaging type scenarios. So we take a device out of the box or we bring a Windows 7 device in and we use some sort of tool like Microsoft Deployment Toolkit, System Center Configuration Manager to essentially perform a wipe and load of the operating system. There's also a new scenario that was introduced in Windows 10, which kind of sits alongside this, called the in-place upgrade, which doesn't perform a wipe and load. It essentially upgrades Windows 7 to Windows 10 and keeps the data and the settings intact. In-place upgrades were used to migrate Windows 7 to Windows 10 for consumers. We wouldn't recommend that approach typically
2: for any kind of enterprise it brings way too many uh, historical problems along with it nine times out it's actually ten times out of ten uh, go with wipe and load as your metrics for getting you from windows 7 to windows 10 and then in place upgrade takes uh takes over from there on in uh, when you get into the windows as a service
1: yeah so the in place upgrade when you are in the world of windows 10 we're going to call it you will use in-place upgrades to move between the feature updates typically whereas the wipe and load scenario should be used as your way of getting from windows 7 to windows 10. Uh, although it is more costly and a bit more laborious we would recommend that approach because it is that fresh start and you're not going to drag across any of the issues and also those drivers as well that were built for windows 7 on the device you're essentially performing an in-place upgrade and hoping that those drivers work. We definitely would not recommend that approach. So the second one is to use provisioning methods. And there are kind of two ways of doing this. There are the provisioning methods that are utilized by IT. So this would be, we ship a device to our IT department, they take it out of the box, and rather than re-imaging the device, they simply plug a USB key in, and connects to the corporate network and it joins the domain and gets enrolled in Config Manager or enrolls into the MDM solution. So it goes just far enough for these management tools to take over. Absolutely, yeah. And it's about reducing the need to re-image devices. So there is a general move in Windows 10 away from imaging devices because when you re-image devices, it takes time. It's very costly. It reduces agility. The other type of scenario within the provisioning world is Windows Autopilot, which is an over-the-air provisioning method where essentially you ship your, your corporate-owned Windows 10 devices directly to end users and they take them out of the box. The first thing they will be asked to do is join it to the Wi-Fi network. If it's in the Windows autopilot database and it's assigned to your organization, the end user will be somewhat forced to enter their email address and their password and the device will be as Azure AD joined and enrolled in your MDM solution. Yeah, it's really desirable because it completely removes the need for IT to ever touch that device. So it's quicker and it's cheaper. Yeah. So if
0: you're an organization that maybe has users that are rarely in the office and maybe they're in different countries and you're just shipping hardware straight to them, then I guess that's so much easier because they don't have to come to the central base to get their new laptop working, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And there are scenarios that some of the OEMs are working on were for organizations that have employees that are in and out of airports all the time. They will allow you to store corporate-owned devices that are enrolled in Windows Autopilot in airports. So if you're a consultant, let's say, and you work in Belgium, but your head office is in the UK and you're going to be flying to Norway tomorrow, you just simply collect a device from the airport if your device dies, stick your dead device in the airport kiosk take your device out of the box, join it to the airport Wi-Fi and within 30 minutes to an hour, you're up and running again, rather than having to come back to the UK head office and losing two or three days worth of productivity.
0: So what's the last method of deploying and provisioning?
1: Okay, so we've got the VDI type approach, the virtual desktop
2: infrastructure type approach. So I'm going to hand over to Adam now to cover this. VDI approach is quite simply running a virtual machine, a VDI session from within your own data center or from within a hyperscale cloud, um, which contains the Windows desktop operating system as the operating system. And then on top of that, you stick your applications and you can share that and make it accessible by any uh, device anywhere uh, from any connected location. That's the general gist. Um the actual tools required to manage a Windows 10 virtual desktop rather than a Windows 7 virtual desktop are exactly the same. You don't need to go out and buy anything new. What you do need to make sure you do is update those tools so that they support the Windows 10 deployment.
0: So is there a, is there a, like a, a specific use case for a VDI environment with Windows 10 or earlier operating systems?
1: VDI is excellent for containerization type requirements and also for those applications that do not support windows 10
2: yeah absolutely and um, realistically if it comes down to the absolute use cases for virtual desktop it is when the data is not allowed to leave the building case in point uh, across a lot of the racing teams they have huge amounts of intellectual property that may well be back at base around the silverstone area but their teams are out and about around the world track site. so if somebody accidentally leaves a laptop or it gets stolen from some exotic location whoever's ended up with that device is not going to walk off with the plans to your fancy race car
0: so so how do you manage these new environments
2: yeah so
1: you are going to need to implement some tools to Deploy and provision Windows 10. Larger enterprises typically would look to use something like a System Center Configuration Manager, and they may already have that in place to manage Windows 7 as well. If you are using Configuration Manager, that would be considered a classic IT way of delivering services, which is a Microsoft terminology for the way we have delivered compute, apps, services, and management of those services over the last 15 years. So, in the in the classic IT world, we would. Join a device to the on-premises Active Directory. We would manage it using Configuration Manager. We would deliver services and apps from our on-premises data center. And all those experiences would be great when you are inside the network and maybe not so great when you're outside
2: of the network. But it's worlds apart from the way... People work now. It's the world apart from um, the uh, modernization, the mobilization, the phones, the tablets. it comes come to my world way before that time.
1: Yeah, and we speak to organizations on a daily basis that need to do th- more with the same or more with less. And this is where the modern IT approach tends to align quite nicely. The modern IT approach is a way of delivering your compute apps and services using mobile device management tool sets using the cloud, using services that are available regardless of whether you are inside of the network or outside of the network, and using self-service tools as well. In the modern IT world, we would deliver settings to end users. So you target policies at users because they may have multiple devices and you may not own that device as well, keep in mind. In the modern IT world, you would look to Azure AD join a device or so join it to the cloud version of Active Directory, which is available from anywhere. And you would use a mobile device management tool set to manage that device, which as we've touched on before, doesn't provide the same levels of micromanagement. And there are some limitations associated with the type of apps you can install, but it is cost
2: effective. And it's agile and it's available from anywhere. I think that um, this also kind of reflects Microsoft's reorientation um, towards trying to make sure they're seen as a company that don't just sell you some tools, but actually try and help you actually become more productive. Um, What about mixing two? So the typical use case that we see here is
1: modern IT to organizations is very desirable because of the cost-effective and agile nature of it. But unfortunately, a large subset of their organization needs some sort of micromanagement or needs some sort of complex legacy-style app installing onto their endpoints. And as we've touched on, it can be difficult to do that in the modern IT world via MDM management solutions. Microsoft have recently released something called Windows 10 Core Management, which was released in the 1709 feature update for Windows 10. This allows you to manage devices using both Configuration Manager and Intune at the same time. So you've got enrollment into both a classic IT and a modern IT management tool set. At that point, you can then decide as an organization where the functionality should be delivered from. You can decide on a function-by-function basis where that is delivered from. So you could say that you want to deliver compliance, configuration, and update settings from Intune for the rest of your organization. But because you need to do complex app installs, you would deliver the applications from Configuration Manager. And Microsoft have been very clear about this. This is seen as the bridge to get organizations to modern IT. So what about the app and settings then?
2: I think the first thing that they've got to do is identify uh, what applications they've got out there. Um, One of the... um, Biggest barriers to people moving forward with a Windows 10 update at the moment is that people have very little true data driven visibility of what applications are in their state, which ones are being used, which ones should be rationalized down and retired. Around the applications piece, organizations need to really focus their efforts here from the
1: beginning of the migration or even pre migration because we have seen a lot of migrations get stuck in limbo because the applications aren't ready and they do take time. You know, it takes time to identify applications and then to go through the rationalization process and then also the prioritization process as well. So we do have tool sets that can be used. Some of them are available from Microsoft, some of them available from some of our partners that will automate this process and get you away from the Excel spreadsheets as well. We've seen a lot of organizations that try to identify applications and use excel spreadsheets to manage that process it doesn't really work when you when you go into larger scenarios what about legacy
0: apps what about apps that maybe aren't yet supported or are Critical to an organization, but will never be supported in Windows 10.
2: So, when it comes to legacy applications, um, first thing we need to identify is is anybody actually using it? Is it of any value to the organization? Um, or is it just something that they've had knocking around for years and therefore they're just a little bit worried to get rid of? So, you're saying there could be an app that someone's saying, Oh, I really need to use this.
0: I use it all the time. We can't get rid of it. And then you look at the data and you go, Well, this was opened once.
2: How many people ask for projects and, and open it once, decide they have no idea what a Gantt chart is, and never in Uninstall it. Um, but also,
1: if you don't go through a rationalization process, you will look in Configuration Manager and you'll see thousands and thousands of applications. Oh, yeah. You don't know whether those applications are being used. So that's where the tool sets assist as well. They will tell you whether that application
2: has been open. If it is genuinely being used, then we take it on to the next step. If it's not, we retire it and we focus our efforts on something that will make a difference. If it's being used, the first option is, well, is there an upgrade available? We will always prefer to do the right thing, not have to introduce workarounds, if we don't have to, um, and look for the upgrade. We find that quite often these niche little applications in the corner, and that you find this across the public sector all the time, uh, have been produced perfectly well by a vendor for the last decade or so. Um, and when they come to upgrade it, they find that the vendor is no longer around. Um, it happens all the time. Um, so... They're stuck on this existing version of the application. What do we do? Well, you start to look at the workarounds. And I would say that a workaround for the Windows 7 environment, the easiest, not the most inexpensive, is to look at a virtual desktop environment. It will allow you to essentially have a landing page for the application on a supported platform until January 2020. Um And uh, we can then publish it back into your Windows 10 desktop and you can continue relatively merrily.
1: So finally, the fourth key technical area is data and settings. This is focused around the data that resides on your endpoint devices. For some organizations, this isn't too big of an issue. If they use redirected folders or OneDrive or some other backup type tool where the data is offloaded to another location, you can quite happily wipe and load that device and not lose any data then you've got nothing to worry about in this area. The other area of focus here is around the settings piece. So any kind of personalization that has been done to the operating system or the applications that reside on the operating system, and this will vary on a organization by organization and an application by application basis. Organizations will need to make a decision as to whether do they lift and shift those settings across. If so, what tool set do they use? So there are built-in tools Within Configuration
2: Manager and Microsoft Deployment Toolkit, that will do the job quite happily. So, there are some more sophisticated tools out there to make it a more seamless transition. It is really, really important. Uh, to take as much of the personalization across as you can from your users because it's the bit that makes it familiar to them. They're going to have a set standard Windows 10 desktop, which is perfect for IT on day one, but it's layering over and draping over those personal settings from their applications um, that allow them to get back to productivity quickly. And some of the biggest, uh, the most upset um, users I've seen out there following migrations have been because people took a shortcut on the profiles and they lost all their settings and they didn't have their signatures and they didn't have their favorite palette in AutoCAD. When you're dealing with with a decent amount of people Uh, on a monday morning after you've done a windows 10 deployment you need the change to be as light and as little as possible we need to keep it familiar so this is about your approach to user adoption there are a couple of areas we really need to focus in on um, if we're going to make sure this is an actual success technology is one absolutely we've covered that to a very high level degree during this uh during this session but making sure your people are ready for the change, making sure they know where their start menus have gone, making sure they understand how to load a browser and what Windows Edge is and what this Windows Store thing is that's just popped up is massively important. And it's making sure again, that it's familiar to them and that they are prepared and ready and it's not a shock and they don't feel like evergreen flow of the underlying Windows 10.
0: So what about the future? What's the future for Windows deployment?
1: Is there going to be a Windows 11, a Windows 12? Well, we're led to believe that there won't be a Windows 11 or a Windows 12. We're led to believe that this is the last version of Windows and the evergreen nature and the Windows as a service that is associated with Windows 10
2: tends to lead us to believe that somewhat. Um, It doesn't mean that it'll look the same forever. It's night and day from where it was back in mid-2015 when it was launched. Yeah, Um, if you
1: look at the original release of windows 10 it is very different to the current state of windows 10 now
2: yeah so i don't think you can expect it to get tired i think the focus from microsoft is only going to be heavier and heavier on security it's only going to be heavier and heavier on user experience and striking that balance between the two and i think there's it's only going to go in one direction with regards to the operational management it will become lighter it has to Mm. because The pace of the releases puts a huge burden on organizations as they stand today and as they're organized today.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you look at Windows as a service, Microsoft have essentially taken an agile software development approach to the operating system because it is a piece of software after all. So they are delivering smaller iterative changes on a more rapid basis to Windows 10 to allow it to be more secure and more productive. So does that mean the end of VDI then?
2: No, no, I don't think so. Uh, VDI is a powerful tool and it's going to remain relevant, if not mission critical for a lot of organisations for a very long time to come. Um, As an industry, we're under massive pressure to appease the risk averse and the paranoid, whilst empowering, mobility, collaboration, productivity and the work-life balance, and also supporting this obsessive drive for consumer-grade user experience. To strike the right balance... um, Some organisations are going to need tools that allow people to access the applications and data they need without that data ever leaving the boundaries of the DC or the hyperscale instance. Most are going to need a fistful of get out of jail free cards to enable users to consume legacy apps in ways that they were never intended to be consumed. And many will still need their people to have the freedom to securely access all of these services from whichever type of device the user picks up next. So, to summarise? So, to summarise, Windows 10 is a more secure, more reliable, more robust, um, and more user-focused operating system from Microsoft. Before moving to Windows 10, ensure that your applications and
1: your infrastructure is in a Windows 10-ready state, and ensure that you understand the complexities of Windows as a service, and what the impact of Windows as a service has on your organisation – and applications. From a starting point make sure you have assessed your end user estate and understand how they interact with IT services and applications throughout the enterprise. Once you understand your current state and know where you're trying to get to there are four key technical areas that need to be considered to allow you to migrate to Windows 10. Number one deployment and provisioning. Make sure you have tools that can deploy or provision Windows 10, whether it's using traditional tools or the new over-the-air provisioning methods like Windows Autopilot. Two, management and security. Make sure your tool sets are able to effectively manage and secure Windows 10 and are able to keep up with the rapid update cycle that is associated with Windows 10. Number three, applications. Make sure you understand which applications exist in your environment, which applications are used in your environment, which ones require the most focus, and which need to be completed first. Finally, data and settings. Make sure that you understand what data and settings need to be migrated for the migration to be considered a success
0: wow okay thank you so jack and adam it's been really interesting talking to you both thank you so much for your time listeners uh if there's anything in the show that has piqued your interest or if you'd like to speak to someone at softcat about deploying windows 10 or really just anything that we've talked about across the podcast so far do check out the show notes and um, we're going to put some links on there related to some of the stuff that we've talked about in the show so you've been listening to explain it from softcat thanks for listening and goodbye